0: Short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. It's been being and Mr. Gorbachev teared down this. The American people I think is good people. They are they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies.
1: In our last episode, yeah. Ray, welcome to episode 76, by the way. In our last episode, we talked about how FDR uh, approved the Manhattan Project on uh, 28th of December 1942, basically said, open checkbook, spend as much money as you need, and they went, fucking guilty And like many <laughs> dot-com startups I've seen, um, went out and hired 130,000 people immediately, didn't even know what they were going to build, but hey, we've got the money we might as well spend. it. Right. Um, they uh, were trying multiple methods of figuring out how to get enough shit that will blow up to to build a couple of big bombs. They didn't really know how to make it work. They had some basic theories, and so they just went out and ran it all in parallel, basically uh, buying everything they could get their hands on, making stuff that they couldn't get their hands Mm -hmm. on just to try and build a couple of really, really big bombs before the war ended, because uh, otherwise it's get, they're going to... What are you going to do with a nuclear bomb if you don't have a war? Yeah. Gonna it's just going to sit there... an egg it's on your face. Like an yeah. embarrassing yeah. white yeah. elephant. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Now, of course, of, of course, with the bomb being designed, that's only part of the problem. Mm-hmm. They also needed to figure out how they were going to deliver the bomb if they could build it, and who was going to deliver it. Right.
0: Yeah, it was bad enough that um, even though they were using the electromagnetic process, the thermal diffusion and the gaseous diffusion process to get the enriched uranium uh, in August 7th of 44, Groves, hat in hand, has to go to General Marshall, Chief of Staff, and say that timetable we told you about when when you approved this, not exactly what we're doing right now. Now we're looking at the second quarter of 1945. So, um like you said earlier, they're struggling, but they're still still making improvements. They're still they're still getting closer and closer and closer. But they do have to push back their deadline, uh, which does not please Washington at all. But the point is, now that they are getting close with the material and with the bomb design, they've got to figure out once this thing is done, because it's just a matter of when. How are we going to deliver it to the enemy?
1: <laughs> Candy Graham, uh, yes. So, uh, yeah, like by uh, the time he went and, and sort of pitched this uh, to, to uh, General Marshall and General Marshall on to Roosevelt, they kind of had the idea that Germany was running out of steam and that the war for, against Germany would probably be over before they built the bomb. Um, so they started a- talking amongst themselves even as early as 1944 that Japan... Yeah might be the bomb's first target. Um, and expenditures on the Manhattan Project around mid-1944, not 1994, were uh, $100 million a month. Pretty much what we bring in from our podcast. <laughs> so not bad. <laughs> not out. bad. Sorry, that's, a, that's, a, that's $100 <gasps> a month.
0: Um, <gasps> yeah, a commas months. and zeros. Yeah,
1: so how are they going to deliver it? So way back in March of 1944, the U.S. Army Air Force and a guy called William Sterling Deke Parsons, is his nickname, Deke, mm-hmm. um, start building two bomb models and begin testing them with B-29 bombers. They basically are mocking up what these bombs are going to look like, weigh, how much they're going to weigh, and figuring out how they're going right. to drop Because that's not as easy as just opening a... Pod bay door, how <laughs> and dropping the thing out. It's not, you know, to, to, to I guess to most of us, you think, well, that's you drop a bomb by just yeah. opening a shoot and dropping. No. Not not that straightforward. Now they had two initial models by uh, Ray uh, Thin Man, yeah. named for President Roosevelt, which was going to dr- uh, carry the plutonium gun right. model that they still thought they could do at that time. And Fat Mm -hmm. Man, named after Winston Churchill, (laughs) which was going to be the implosion prototype.
0: (laughs) If anybody was going to implode, it would be Churchill, yes.
1: Now, Emilio Segre, who was an Italian-American physicist, he designed a smaller, lighter uranium bomb design that was called Little Boy, Mm -hmm. uh, supposedly Thin Man's Brother. Now, Thin Man, the one named for FDR, was eliminated four months later because they realized you couldn't use the gun model with plutonium, which is ironic because FDR himself was also eliminated a few months <laughs> no. after that. No. no! Yes, he was, right. He was eliminated. He was. He died. Yes. Now, if you remember, we did several episodes on that. Um, so it was Prophetic. Uh, that they they forecasted, they prophesied the elimination of FDA. Cam,
0: you do not have enough tact to fill up a shot glass.
1: (laughs) I'm not talking to FDA. He's not listening. He doesn't give a fuck. Does he? Is he listening? Is he doing this? In In heaven. After what, like? Was he related to you? Were you, <laughs> were you his son or grandson? I were you even alive? No. So. so shut the okay, fuck up. What sorry, you go
0: ahead.
1: He's dead. Deal with it. Uh, yes, I'm making fun of it. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying he died. He died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Touchy, touchy, touchy Americans. Now, <clears throat> as you said, uh, jumping ahead in my timeline a little bit, they, they still things were taking longer than they thought. Groves, as good as he was, wasn't able to deliver this on time. But they were confident that they at least to get one bomb. They thought the uranium gun bomb was probably doable. Yeah. Now, anyway, so to deliver it, they had to start training guys to, to deliver it. So the uh, Air Force, the U.S. Army Air Force, mm-hmm. started training in September 1944 at a place called Wendover Field Air Force Base in western Utah, it's on the border of Nevada and Utah near the Bonneville Salt Flats Raceway, about 100 miles west of Salt Lake City. My wife tells me she has been to Wendover. She said it's sh- a shithole. <laughs> um, apparently, that's an official term that Donald Trump gave for it. She said, though, that she won at Craps there when she was twenty. Oh, good for her. Some shitty little casino. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Something good came over Wendover Field. By the way, it's still there today. It's a civil airbase. But uh, a lot of the World War II buildings are intact. Um, it's middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's very hot. Yeah. Um, so no one's worried too much about it. But apparently, um, a lot of the buildings are still there, including the the hangar where the Enola Gay was based. Wow. So you can go there if you're so inclined today. It gets used for a lot of films and television shows. Right. Um, including the Philadelphia Experiment, 1984, Con Air... 1995, Independence Day Woo! in 1996, and The Hulk in 2003 have all used it as a location. So there you go.
0: Have you seen all those films?
1: I have. Right. Uh, I have, and uh, they're all great films.
0: Cool. All right.
1: Except maybe The Hulk. The Hulk, Eric Banner's Hulk. Yeah, not yeah, so much. No. But uh, Independence Day in Con Air, great. Philadelphia Experiment. Yeah, fucking great. Uh, I love that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, I want to talk about Tibbets, Lieutenant Kerbel... Kerbal <laughs> Kerbel, Kerbal Goebbels. Lieutenant Colonel... Gobble, gobble, gobble. He was a turkey. Uh, Paul W. Tibbetts mm-hmm. uh, began drilling the 393rd Bombardment Squadron of the 509th Composite Wing <clears throat> in test drops. Now, they built these things called pumpkin bombs. They were orange dummy bombs right. made to have the same uh, size as the fat man f- weighed five and a half thousand pounds <sighs> and they were mostly just conventional bombs but they had the same ballistic characteristics as fat man so they would fall through the air in in the same fashion right um, and they started dropping them on the Great Salt Lake uh, which is maybe why it's so stinky. <laughs> Uh, the Great Salt Lake, because they dropped pumpkin bombs in it. Right. Not to be confused with the pumpkin bombs thrown by the Green Goblin. Different. Which are yeah. uh, smaller, handheld versions of the same thing. <laughs> now, Tibbets was apparently the best bomber pilot in the Air Force. He led the first B-17 bombing mission over England. Uh, Sorry, from England over um, occupied Europe. Mm -hmm. He had flown Eisenhower to his command post in Gibraltar before the Allied landings in Africa and then conducted the first bombing raids there afterwards. Most recently, he had been the test pilot for Boeing's new B-29 Superfortress and worked with the physics department at the University of New Mexico to figure out how the B-29 would be able to defend itself against fighter attacks. Nice. So this guy was... He was the uh, Poe Dameron <laughs> of uh, the, the American Air Force at the time. Um, now, by the way, the Super Fortress, did you know that it was the single most expensive weapons project undertaken by the United States in World War II? I did not. Exceeded the cost of the Manhattan Project by between $1 and $1. $1.7 billion.
0: Damn.
1: So, they spent $2 billion on the Manhattan Project, between $3 to $4 billion right. on building the B-29 Superfortress. It was the first plane ever to include a pressurized cabin and to have dual-wheeled tricycle landing gear. And these, of course, ended up in commercial aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also the first plane to have computer-controlled uh, remote machine gun turrets. Wow. Which, of course, ended up in James Bond's car. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, these things, all this trickle-down <laughs> Keynesian military Keynesianism here. It's always good.
0: Right.
1: Now, in September 1944, Deke Parsons, who I mentioned before, and Norman Ramsey, who was the Columbia physicist in charge of the delivery of the bombs, pulled Tibbetts aside and said, got a, we got a project for you, mm-hmm. Mr. Tibbetts. You're going to be uh, in charge of dropping bombs, nuclear bombs. Nice. Um, yeah. So he was like, fucking your beauty. Um, <laughs> that's paraphrasing. <laughs> now, he was told by his commanding officer, Major General Utsal Gerard Ent. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I'd be looking into his uh, yeah, you know, connections. Exactly. And well, I'm like, Utsal Gerard Ent. Be like, yeah, it's suspicious. He says to him, you have to put together an outfit and deliver this weapon. We don't know anything about it yet. We don't know what it can do. But you've got to mate it to the airplane and determine the tactics, the training and the ballistics, everything. These are all parts of your problem. This thing is going to be very big. I believe it has the potential and possibility of ending the war. Now, apparently, Ent was given Tibbetts' name and two other guys' names as uh, choices mm-hmm. for the mission, and he replied without hesitation, Paul Tibbetts is the man
0: to do it. Wow.
1: So this guy's a fucking badass. You know this Tibbetts guy yeah. is the best of the best.
0: And he's only 29 um, years a old.
1: Later, a month later, Ent, General, Major General Utsalgrad Ent, was uh, seriously injured in the crash of a B-25 that was taking off from Fort Worth in Texas, mm. and he was paralysed from the waist down. Damn. Learned to walk again using braces but died a few years later. Whew. But that's his role in uh, gotcha.
0: the, the atomic story. Now, now, yeah.
1: what, are you going to jump? Don't jump. No, how far are you gonna jump? I wasn't
0: going to jump. I was tiptoe. Right. No, I was just going to say because um, because of the Manhattan Project is obviously inc- incredibly important. Tibbetts is uh, told to do this thing even though he's not given any details. He's told to make this happen to be ready to go. But because it's called either Operation or code name Silverplate that that was the word, the magic word that he could use to get anything that he needed. So he's been given this pretty incredible task. Absolutely no details, but he's given the equivalent of a black credit card, where he can get whatever he wants. All he has to do is say "silver plate." So again, they're taking someone who's very qualified, giving him what, what he's needing, but at the same time, they're not telling him any details yet. He's just going to have to wait.
1: And you know why it was codenamed "silver plate"? No, tell me. Silver plate was the code reference for uh, the Manhattan Project mm. for World War Two. Gotcha. For the air forces, the United States Army's air forces participation in the Manhattan Project. Sorry, it was originally the name for the B twenty nine Super Fortress. Um, well, at least the modification of it to enable it to drop an atomic weapon. Right now, the Super Fortress was silver. I think it had something to do with that. If you look at a photo of one, they're shiny. The original director for the project had as its subject line "Silver Plated Project." Ah. Um, and then it just got shortened to silver plate. I don't know if that's referencing the, the, the silver of the super fortress or if it was just, you know, get handed something on a silver platter. Right. This is something that was very expensive. It was plated in silver. I'm not sure exactly what it was. Anyway, uh, Tibbets later on uh, in 1940, June 1945 moved his team to the Marianas um, where they had all of the 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 world's largest airport had been built there by the navy to God. accommodate the new super fortresses. Yeah. Tinian Island in the Marianas been designed to fly bombing missions over Japan. He and his crew started flying bombing missions over Japan even before they got their hands on the the nuclear bombs. The Hobe Islands had been bombed obviously for six months before that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with with uh, conventional bombs. But he and his crew started flying missions over Japan, getting ready for it for six months. So this is before the war. The point of this is before the war in Germany had ended, mm-hmm. um, they kind of knew they were going to be dropping this on Japan. Right. Um, you know, in June 1945, the war with Germany was over. But for a long time, they'd figured this was going to be Japan. Germany was on its last legs; We weren't going to need it for Germany. So they're, they're getting set up uh, as early as June to drop it on Japan, even before the tests of the bombs have been done. In New Mexico, they're getting ready. Yeah.
0: Just to give everybody a reference point, the Marianas are 1,250 miles or 2,011 kilometers south of Tokyo. So uh, th- these are planes that can fly that long and all the way back And it's because of the Marianas that they're within range, bombing range of Japan. And uh, like you said, they've been bombing Japan for six months uh, by this point. But again, these are some incredible aircraft that uh, can go these incredible distances. And they're going to need this massive plane because even though they they don't know the specs yet, they know that this bomb is probably going to be somewhere around 5,000 pounds. And uh, they just have to be ready to figure out the final details once they're given the bomb. Now...
1: They're getting ready to drop bombs, right? Yeah, right. But Groves wants to know whether or not the Germans have the bomb. Uh-huh. Speaking of which, it sounds like there's a bomber approaching me right now outside my window. If I, if I go offline, it's probably because somebody just dropped something on
0: Okay, that makes sense. Um, in
1: 1943, and I, this, I fucking love this story, Groves sets up a unit to find out if the Germans have the bomb. And i got to tell you, when I was reading all of this, I thought, there's a fucking movie in this story. Yeah. If it hasn't already been told, we should make this movie. I think this is, this is our big breakthrough yeah. tell we make this movie. Yeah. He called the project Alsos, which was Greek for Grove. Mm-hmm. My name is Grove, and my project <laughs> is Greek for Grove. And it was headed by one of the greatest badasses you've never heard of. FBI-trained G2 security officer, Lieutenant Colonel Boris T.
0: Pash. Now, again,
1: Boris. 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 His birth name was Boris Fedorovich Pashkovsky. Pashkovsky. But that sounded too Russian. (laughs) It still sounds Russian. his family was born... He was born in the U.S., but his family moved back to Russia when he was 12. Right. And then they moved back to the U.S. when the Bolsheviks took over. He's fluent in English, German, and Russian. By the way, do you know what a G2 security rating is?
0: They, they were the Army's big boys when it came to security and intelligence, but that's all I know.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's uh, military intelligence staff in the United States Army. hmm um, is G2. I think G1 is for personnel. G3 is for operations. G4 is logistics. G5 is civil military. Okay. So Army, Military, Intelligence, G2. Now, this fucking Pash guy is a legend. For start, greatest fucking name ever. <laughs> Pash Pash is my name. And Pashing is my game. Boris like, Pash. Th- this, Boris Pash. He needs a fucking movie starring Charles motherfucking Bronson, this guy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> now, his job, in 1943, is to go into Europe, go behind enemy lines, and to find out whether or not the Germans have a nuclear project, and then arrest the scientists, grab everything that they've got, and get it all to America before the Soviets or the French <laughs> can get their hands on them.
0: Easy peasy, lemon to squeezy. And find out where
1: all, all the uranium is. Now... This is a great, great story. Did you like this story, I, Mr. Pash, Dr. Pasch?
0: I loved it. Everybody, you need to grab onto your seats because you're about to go for one hell of a ride. Now, I thought it was interesting that um, he knew a lot of the staff members at Lawrence's Berkeley uh, lab because he had questioned them. He had uh, he had looked into their activities to make sure they're okay to work on the project. He'd even questioned Oppenheimer about his lefty communist pinko bastard affiliations. So this guy has gotten to know some of these people, and obviously, obviously the Army trusts him to be able to snoop these guys out. So he's been given this, this huge assignment, critical assignment, uh, but the Army Believes that they've got their best man on the case.
1: So he goes into Normandy um, and then Paris in August of 1944, not long after D Day, and um, tracks down some French physicists who knew a little bit about the German bomb project. Uh, At the time, he gets shot at by German defenders in (laughs) Paris and had to retreat. He then moves on to Brussels and then to Strasbourg near the border of uh, Germany by November. And there he finds a German physics laboratory that's installed in the grounds of the city hospital. They they arrested a couple of physicists. They found some papers on the German atomic project. And it sounded from these papers, he talks about how he and he had a, a physicist who went with him to, to help him... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do the physics side of things, because this guy isn't a physicist. Um, they're, they're reading these papers by candlelight all night, and they they come to the conclusion the Germans aren't even close. And they let Groves know. And Groves is like, not taking any chances. Right. Where's all the fucking uranium that the Germans took out of Belgium in 1940, like 1,200 tons of it? Pash had already found 31 tons of it in Toulouse, in a yeah. French arsenal where it had been hidden by the Nazis. But he wants to know where the rest of this stuff is and what are they doing with it? How close are they?
0: Yeah, Gro- so Groves is Pash- not happy
1: yet. He wants it all. So Pash goes, crosses the Rhine into Germany. He has a large force of guys with him. I think at his peak he had like 114 guys in the Alsos operation. He has four Jeeps with machine guns mounted on them, two armoured cars... And he goes hunting for German atomic scientists <laughs> and uranium.
0: I thought you were going to say, yeah. "Shh, be very quiet." I'm hunting for German atomic scientists.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm uh, well, hunting uh, however, Elmer Fudd talks. Physicists. Yeah. <clears throat> now,
1: not only do they want to make sure the Germans don't have the bomb, and right. that you know, maybe I mean, the war's not over here, maybe. It's going to be the last ditch effort on behalf of Hitler if he's you know, backs against the wall. Maybe he's going to, you know, drop a couple of nukes. We don't know. But even if they're not, he wants to make sure no Nazi physicists with knowledge about how to build a bomb fall into Soviet or French hands. Now, keep in mind that at this point, the Soviets and the French are allies. <laughs> are they of the Americans? Are they? Yeah, on paper, yeah, they're fighting. They're going, yeah, no, no, uh, Stalin, you go and uh, you, take, you, you take Berlin. Yeah, no, no, it's good, good, it's good. You go take uh, Berlin. Right, thumbs up, buddy. All good, all good. You go do it. Wait, It's going to cost you a million people to take Berlin. Nah, it's, a, it's just, a, what's that? It's a million people. Don't worry about it. Go do it. You can do it. We've got your back. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, they're, they're trying to make sure these guys go. Now, by the end of March 1945, Pash was in Heidelberg where he captured Walter Bertha, who was the head of the Institute of Physics, which had Germany's only working cyclotron. Mm -hmm. And near a place called Staddaim, I think that's how you pronounce it, near Weimar, he found the central office of German atomic research. But Werner Heisenberg and the rest of his guys from the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute had fucked off uh, out of there (laughs) when when they saw that it wasn't looking good. They left a small stash of uranium there, which he got. But there were documents that he found there that suggested the rest of the uranium ore that they'd taken from Belgium might be in a factory near Stashfurt, near Magdeburg. Right. Yeah. Now, there was a problem with that, Ray. What was the problem with it being in Stashfurt?
0: Well, the good news was that the British forces were close to this area. However, their Red Army comrades were moving in fast. So something's got to happen. So uh, it's it's time to kick this into high gear. So Groves puts together a joint British and American strike team under Lieutenant Colonel John Lansdale. And Lansdale's first move is to see the 12th Army Group's G2, uh, the military spies. And what Lansdale does is he, he pretty much puts it out there for them. He tells him as much as he can. He says, we've outlined, we outlined our proposal and advised him that if we find the material we were after, we propose to remove it and it would be necessary that we act with the utmost secrecy and greatest dispatch in so much as a meeting between the Russian armies and the Allied armies apparently would soon take place in the area which this material appeared to was a material appeared to be, and this was going to be in the proposed Russian zone of occupation. As you can imagine, the G2 people were not very happy about this, and they saw all kinds of political difficulties with dealing with the Russians and and, and getting in trouble with their civilian masters back home, but it doesn't matter. We have to go in there. We have to get this stuff out, but the uh, Army G2 people said, look, if you want to do this crazy shit, leave me out of it. You've got to go talk to my commanding general, and that is General Omar Bradley. Now,
1: I want to focus on the main points here. Um, yeah. This is early 1945, right? So, right. Bef- this is before the war's over. This is before they can accuse Stalin of not pulling his armies out of Iran or, or
0: Poland or anything like that.
1: With the makeup yeah. of Poland. Yeah, the political pull up. All the stuff that we were talking to Ben Steele about style, Steele. In Steel. our uh, episode, yeah. a couple of episodes ago um, <clears throat> In terms of the spirit of Yalta Who broke the spirit of Yalta first? Well, first of all you know We know that the Americans were building an atomic bomb And not telling the Soviets about it um, And he mm-hmm. knew that they were keeping secrets from him About building the greatest fucking weapon of all time Which was obviously a threat Secondly, here they are this is this zone of occupation has been given to the Soviet Union as part of the Yalta negotiations. This is going to be part of you know what they're going to get at the end of the war to help with uh, you know repat, uh, uh, reparations um, to right. rebuild. And here the Americans are sneaking in there ahead of time, going in before the army and stealing shit out of it. <laughs> this but... is well before the end of the war. This is like. You and I. This is like right. a, 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 a married couple being married. One of them, one of the parties, having a prenup in place. Okay, this is a prenup. Okay, you have you have two houses. You know, you have a, you have a, a house in the city and you have a holiday house, and you have you sign sure. a prenup that says, "Look, if, if if anything ever happens, if we get divorced, um, you're going to get." The city house and Heather's gonna get the holiday house and everything in it. All the contents, everything within it is yours. And you go, okay, right. that's the agreement. Yeah. You're fucking around on the side, you sure. know, hey, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna file for divorce in six months. Sneaking into the holiday house in the middle of the night and taking all the shit out of the safe. Right. Taking everything out of ah. the house, stripping the house bare, yeah. taking all the good shit. You leave yeah. the cheap shit, but all the expensive yeah. shit. You steal it in the middle of the night, and then
0: file for <laughs> divorce and go. Oh, oh.
1: shit! Well, there's nothing in the house, really. Fuck. That, that,
0: um, that sounds like that's, something that's I would sh- do. Yeah, but shock. But to use your your a uh, uh, quote that you said about five episodes ago, or maybe seven episodes ago, you said something like about. Um, <laughs> what did you say? Something like all alliances or something is 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 a is a matter of convenience. So the Russians. What is it? Do you remember? Something like
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. All alliances are are alliances of convenience. Yeah.
0: Mutual. Yeah. But the point is, so the Russians are our allies, given that Germany is the enemy of both. But we're not really allies. We don't really have a, a, a political connection with them or a cultural connection or I guess maybe even an economic connection. It's a matter of convenience. It's about to be over. We don't really know them. We don't really like them. I mean, he—he's—he's a, he's a dictator. He's already, you know, he, he's already pr- proven what he's capable of in the Baltics. He's already uh, invaded uh, Finland before all this got going. So the point is, they don't think they can trust him. They're not certainly going to trust him with this material or these scientists. Let's get in. Let's get out. And but the other obvious part of it is, we need, we want that stuff and those people. So we—it's a zero sum game. We have to make sure we get it for our program. And the Russians don't get it.
1: Don't give me this. He's a dictator. He invaded bullshit. You guys invaded the Philippines. You've invaded far for fucking Latin America. You know you've taken Mexico. <laughs> don't fucking point the. It's finger okay at Stalin, when
0: it's it, the the, the um, country that's doing the judging. It's okay when they do it. Of course, they don't see themselves as the so, bad guy, but they're not going to let him have the stuff.
1: Secondly, FDR is still alive at this stage. They've just left Yalta weeks earlier where they've talked about enduring partnerships and alliances that are going to last for 50 years, they are going to be nice and get along. Meanwhile, the Americans are sneaking (gasps) around in the dark in the middle of the night stealing shit (laughs) out of Stalin's holiday house.
0: Do you think FDR knows about this particular operation? I'm willing to bet he doesn't. He's a generalist. He's not going to be involved in every little tiny.
1: Yeah. No, no, I'm sure they didn't tell him about it. I'm sure it's uh, under the radar for him. They just do all that they want to do. Um, Anywho. Yeah. Yes. So they're trying to get all this shit out of Stashvirt before the Soviets come to pick up the keys from the real estate agent.
0: What's Bradley's um, response? Oh,
1: uh, I don't know. What?
0: To hell with the Russians. Do it.
1: Right. Yeah. So they get in uh, to Starchvert, um, they find the plant where all the stuff is. It's a complete mess, right. both from Allied bombing, oh, we've been blowing up their uranium, <laughs> and <laughs> looting by the French. Right. The, the uranium ore was in barrels in an open-sided shed They'd obviously been there a long time. A lot of the barrels were broken open. Uranium was leaking everywhere. Oh, God. Um, There was 1,100 tons of ore there in various forms. Most of it concentrates concentrates that they'd taken from Belgium. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the following 10 days, 260 truckloads of uranium ore, along with some other stuff, were taken away by uh, an American truck company, Mm -hmm. 260 truckloads of stuff weighing over a 1,000 tons taken out of the Soviet zone before the Soviets arrived.
0: Right. If it makes you feel any better, there was also an inventory list. We took that too, so they wouldn't know what was taken in the first place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're going to steal shit, that's the way to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, Pash. My name is Pash, and I love to Pash. And I have a passion for. It. Had uh, discovered that Werner Heisenberg, Otto Hahn, and a lot of the other leading German physicists were in the resort town of Heigerloch, which sounds like it should be in Scotland, <laughs> right. but it's not. It was in the Black Forest region of south southwest Germany. Now, this region was still in enemy hands. Right. But the French were making some progress there, but oh. this is also a problem. Because Heigerlock lays in the occupation zone allocated to France. And Groves didn't want the French to get their hands on the nuclear secrets either. So it's not just, oh, you, you, Stalin, and you, you know, invading the Balkans, and you, bad guy. The French as well. They're like, fuck the French. (laughs) We're not letting them keep all the shit in their holiday house either. All all your base are belong to us. We're taking the shit.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, By th- by, this so, point, Pash has gotten wait, himself... What, yeah.
1: What was Groves' first move when he found out this shit was in Heigerloch?
0: Um To go fucking get it.
1: No, before that, he did something else. Oh, I,
0: I don't know.
1: He tried to get the border of the occupation zone changed. He oh, my God. He wanted to get the, the US State Department to contact the French... Uh, De Gaulle's people and go. Um, <clears throat> we're very sorry, but uh, we've noticed there's a mistake. Uh, where this border is, we're going to carve a big chunk uh, around oh, just God. around this area of Heigalok and give that to. That's going to be an our zone yeah. now. Thank you. That's what he tried to get them to just fix it on a map, and the State Department wanted to know why, and he refused to tell them. So they told him to go fuck himself. <laughs> so then, yeah. Groves and Marshall and Stimson decided that the area would have to be secured by American troops... Before the French got there,
0: right. Well, in in the Americans' defense, I mean, the the State Department's the French by this point. De Gaulle is already being a hard ass in some several issues, so he doesn't. He's not going to play ball. FDR is getting pissed off with him, so uh, they probably figured out. Look, if we've got to ask the French, it's not going to happen. But at this point, because they've got to go take this freaking town, Pash, who already has a decent amount of number of men and uh, the gun mounted jeeps and the and the armored cars, now gets a battalion of combat engineers. These are people who can build ship, but they can also fight. So he's got a couple of hundred men now, and they have to they have to take a circuitous route to get there because they're trying to avoid the fighting. But they make their way to Higerloch and all they wait, can... Wait, 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 yeah.
1: wait, 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 wait. Slow down. Yeah. So before that, they mm-hmm. have a plan codenamed Operation Effective. Okay. Operation Effective called for the 13th Airborne... Oh, to parachute into Heigerloch.
0: <laughs> oh, God.
1: Uh, seize an airfield that can be used to fly in an Alsos team. Right. And then fly them back out with German scientists. Ah. And, and create a fake story for the French about why they couldn't move into Heigerloch. They, they, they were coming up with this uh, bullshit propaganda approach to try and delay the French advance so they could fly in and oh fly God. back out. Um, the Operation Effective was scheduled for the 22nd of April, but by the 20th of April, the French had captured an intact bridge over the Necker uh. River. Right. Established a bridgehead, so they were moving in faster than the Americans figured. It wasn't giving the Americans time to fly in, get a get an airfield, fly fly all the teams in, fly back out. So they d- cancelled Operation Effective and decided to send a ground force instead. But I just love this, like the whole. This is something out of a fucking movie, man. It really is. Yeah. They were gonna parachute in behind enemy lines ahead of their allies, steal an airfield and uh, go and arrest a bunch of Nazi scientists and then fly them back <laughs> out uh, before the French could get there. It's, like, such a great fucking story, man.
0: Maybe they were going to pull a Han Solo and say, don't come in here. There's a large reaction leak. Uh, uh, give us time to shut it down. You know, maybe use as an yeah. excuse, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then shoot the intercom it's, console.
0: It's, exactly. <laughs> like, but the conversation wasn't is, going their way.
1: This is a movie that Steve McQueen... Should have yeah. been starring in, or you know, Tarantino should make this as one of his movies before he retires. Yeah. Brad Pitt leading a team. This is the sequel to *Inglorious Bastards*. The <laughs> team of guys flying in to steal nuclear sinus. Fucking great! I love it.
0: Yeah, no, we, we we should we should definitely make this this movie. So so they have to so they jump in whatever vehicles they can. They've got hundreds of men now. They race there, and this is kind of anticlimactic. But when they get there everybody's using every piece of white cloth they possibly could find to hang its flag. So the entire town is surrendi- surrendering. So the Americans get there. They take control of the town, which, by the way, is the first enemy town that the Alsos team has taken. So Posh finds the Nazi research facility. And the reason that it, no one could find it before and the reason that it was never damaged in all of the bombing was because it was built into an 80-foot cliff. And so they're, they're trying to trying to get in, but the door's locked. Pash takes the shortcut, he says, look, here's the manager, he's got the keys, ask him to open the door, and if he refuses, and if he tries to stop you from opening the door, just shoot him. So they go inside, and inside, in the floor, is this. there's, there's this pit, and in this pit, it has, over the top of it, uh, it's covered by heavy metal, and what they have stumbled across is the German's atomic pile. And and it was using the heavy water that they had stolen from Norway that everybody was pissed off when the Germans invaded Norway and took their heavy water pile. Now, Cam, I want to ask you this. To me, I can't, well, I have my own personal opinion, but as far as this and being important or not, in the report, Posh is going to write, Heisenberg, or he found this report that said Heisenberg calculated that a 50% increase in the size of the reactor would produce a sustained chain reaction. So, they were getting somewhere. They needed a bigger facility. Uh, the Americans were able to get a chain reaction in late 42. Now it's late 43, and they were about to, you know, they knew what they needed to get to a closer chain reaction. So, the Germans are far behind, but they maybe weren't as far behind as some people might have thought.
1: So, you said it was covered with heavy metal, and I just tried to think what's the yeah. most. Heavy metalist, <laughs> heavy metal song ever. That's it, and that's what I came up with. I mean, that I don't is know. It. There's a lot of options. Good call. There. You go. Good
0: call. Love that. I
1: like this. Uh, so when uh, Pash, uh, I don't think you said mentioned this, but when Pash found this uh, this this cave uh, on in the side of an eighty foot cliff with a with a concrete entrance and a heavy steel door that was padlocked. Um, and he brought the manager of this place. Apparently there was a paper stuck on the door with the manager's name on it. If you want to get into this <laughs> se- top secret <laughs> nuclear bomb site, ring Bob on 835-9917. Brings Bob, says, uh, open the door, Bob. Bob says, oh, I'm just the accountant. I don't have any... <laughs> he- Pash says to his guy, um, "Beaston, shoot the lock off the door. If he gets in the way, shoot him. Mm. And the manager went, "Oh, Damn. look at that! Actually, oh, no, I do have the keys. Oh, these You're keys! Oh, these
0: keys! Yeah, yeah. accounts so, yeah, don't like to be shot.
1: Can... Inside, they find this thing, and uh, as you say, it w- was close, but not quite close enough. Right? Um, there was an atomic pile; they were getting close, uh, close to being able to build it, but they just—they didn't have the resources that the Americans had. I think they didn't have the commitment." Right. And the blank checkbook. $2 billion. They didn't, have a, they didn't have a General Groves either right. to just make it happen. They had a ton of great scientists. I mean, Heisenberg is a great scientist, great nuclear physicist. I mean, one of the founders of nuclear physics. But um, they just uh, didn't have that good old American
0: taskmaster.
1: Yeah, tried to make it happen. Yeah. Which is yeah. funny because I, I kind of think of the Germans. Uh, I mean, the Germans did have those people at some point, and, but they were doing other shit, building tanks and building yeah. Luftwaffe bombers and shit like that. They just, sounds like they didn't dedicate the same level of efficiency to getting this thing up and running uh, as they did to other parts of their military enterprise.
0: Well, they probably thought they were going to win, so it wasn't as critical. But that's a guess. Uh,
1: I don't know. Once things started to go badly for them in Russia and the Americans yeah. got involved. You
0: well, it's too went. late by then. I mean, you're right, but it's too late by then to focus on it. But, uh, yeah, having $2 billion dollars really Americans, helps.
1: The Americans didn't start focusing on it until the beginning of 1943. I mean, I guess they, they were still doing relatively well against the Russians by then, but not not for much longer. Anyway, yeah. um, so Pash left his science guy Goodsmith. Uh, at Heigerloch, and then he moves on to a place called Hechengen, forgive sure. my bad German, where he picks up most of the German atomic scientists. Otto Hahn was captured at Talfengen two days later, um, and then they hear that Werner Heisenberg was with his family in a cottage by a lake in Bavaria. Because,
0: <laughs> that's, you know, that's where yeah, I'll be.
1: Yeah, yeah we're the When the war's coming to an end, (laughs) you want to go to just a cottage by the lake. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. What time you have left with your family?
0: Yeah, when life is not going my way, you can find me in a cottage by the lake, preferably in Bavaria.
1: Now, um, Pash goes hunting for Heisenberg with 10 men in two armored cars and two Jeeps teams up with uh, the 36th Infantry Division and gets there uh, on the 2nd of May, finds out that uh, Heisenberg's at home with his family, but then there are German troops uh, there that get into a firefight with the Americans and the Americans need to to leave. Now, Hmm. um, some of the guys from the 36th reconnaissance troop that are with Pash had to leave, leaving him with just seven men. The Germans have
0: 700 men. Oh, God. What is he going to do, Ray? Shat himself. No, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't read this part.
1: Uh, well, he says uh, it's a bit like Napoleon marching back from uh, Elba. <laughs> uh, he basically says, look, <clears throat> or a bit like Caesar uh, with the pirates. Look, uh, you got me we got seven guys, you've got 700 guys, all right. All right. all right all right all right you could you could beat me. yeah look, we all know you could probably beat me. however, if you surrender now I promise not I promise not to come back with 5,000 guys tomorrow and kill all of you. that sounds fair. and they went. fair deal all right we surrender so. <laughs> This German force of 700 guys surrendered uh. to Pash, who had just seven men. I don't actually know that that's actually what happened. I'm making that bit up, but they did surrender. Not yeah. Exactly. That's, that's in, my, in the movie version.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: That's how it plays out. All right? He goes, hold on, wait. He walks out completely unarmed and says, look, look, look. Smoking a cigarette. You could kill me. You But, 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 wait. Before you, you do. You could kill me. Yeah, but before you do, if I don't phone this number at this time, right, five thousand guys are going to descend here tomorrow. Yeah, um, so you know. So anyway, that's how it happens.
0: What's my name? Um, Badass Pash.
1: Yeah. yeah, he actually does return uh, the, the, on the next day mm-hmm. with uh, the third battalion, 142nd Infantry, takes the Germans prisoner and takes Heisenberg into custody. Now. Yes. The German scientists that they capture, they get the fuck out of the country. They held them at several camps separate from the other prisoners of war. Um, Keep them out of the hands of the Soviets and the French. Mm -hmm. And after VE day, they decide to concentrate them in an internment camp that they've set up at Kransberg Castle, a.k.a. Dustbin, part of Operation Epsilon. Now... How much do you know about Kranzberg Castle, Ray? Uh, Nothing. It was originally, uh, during uh, the the war, redesigned. Castle had been there for a long time. But it was redesigned by Albert Speer, my Mm. absolute favourite number one architect, even ahead of Frank Gehry. Speer is my favourite architect of all time. Um, If I was going to get a house built and I had the money... Right. I'd be getting Albert Speer to build my fucking house, man. There you go. Like, it'd be a Teutonic fucking masterpiece. <laughs> so people would be too scared. I have this. You know, you come over a. You can't see my house from the road. Like you know, it's a dirt track. Right. Out on out on, out on the coastline somewhere, very far from anywhere. Um, but when you when you go over the hill, you go you know through my security gates. Right. Then you see this concrete Teutonic fucking Death Star <laughs> masterpiece on the hill overlooking the ocean, designed by Albert Speer.
0: You've thought a lot about this, haven't you? Oh,
1: (laughs) I have. In my younger days, when there was still a chance that I might be rich one day, (laughs) um, I was going to dig up Albert Speer and get him to come and design it for me. Anyway, he originally redesigned it as the headquarters for Hitler. Um, Hitler went and had a look at it and goes, This is shit! I do not... (laughs) However, you say she's no merda, no, 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 I don't know what what's Shaisa. Uh, Scheißer. Shayser This, right? this is sheisse. Sheisse. <laughs> So um uh, apparently Herman Goring saw it and went, oh, it's not so bad. I like it. it. So it became a, a personal retreat for Goring uh during the war. What a man. Um but after the war, this is where Americans stashed the non-military prisoners of war, the high-ranking non-military. So Albert Speer actually earned it up and ended up there. Uh which is kind of ironic. He redesigned this place and it ends up as a prison for him. Wow. Um, Also, Werner von Braun, Mm -hmm. Ferdinand Porsche, uh, some of the leaders of IG Farben, these sorts of guys, guys who worked with the Nazis but weren't uh, military guys. Um, Now, after the war, 10 of the nuclear physicists, including Heisenberg, were taken to England. They were kept in a house near Cambridge that was set up as sort of a prison for them and the place was thoroughly bugged to try and figure out uh, how close the Germans were to being able to build a bomb by listening wow. in on their conversations. Now,
0: yeah.
1: uh, did you read any of these bugged conversations? No. I did. Um, uh, July 6th, the microphones picked up a conversation between Werner Heisenberg and Kurt Diebner, who was another... German nuclear physicists both had worked on the project. Um, both had been picked up. I think Dybner in Berlin and Heisenberg, obviously in um, Erfeld in Bavaria. Dybner says, <laughs> "I wonder whether there are microphones installed here." <laughs> Heisenberg <loved>. laughs. Microphones installed? No, they're not as cute as all that. I don't think say No, little Gestapo methods. They're a bit old-fashioned <laughs> in that respect. <laughs> Oops. So. Uh, now, uh, yeah, whether or not he knew and was playing along or whether or not he didn't really know, I don't know. But let's assume he didn't know and was just trying to get people talking. Because remember, there's a little, little bit of talk we, we mentioned in an earlier episode about Heisenberg trying to have a conversation with, um, wasn't Zillard, it was uh, one of oh, the other physicists yeah. who ended up in America. Oh, God. Um, about... The Germans building a bomb and mm-hmm. not being too happy about it. Anyway, so not really sure where Heisenberg's loyalties lay. But apparently, after the Americans bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the German scientists were shocked that the Americans had been able to do it when they were quite a long way from right. being ready to do it. They were shocked the Americans got there before them. Um, now, shocked but not necessarily unhappy about the fact that the Americans beat them. Some of them said on microphone, uh, not knowing that they were being listened in uh, to, that they were happy that Hitler hadn't been able to build a bomb. Mm. Um, Others were more sympathetic towards the Nazi cause and were unhappy about the fact that they had failed. Right. I kind of wish the Nazis had one. Now, Otto Hahn was one of the guys that was glad that uh, the Nazis hadn't built a bomb. And he kind of made fun of the others on the microphone, saying, mm-hmm. if the Americans have a uranium bomb, then you're all second raiders. So, you know, <laughs> way to be a cunt, uh, Otto, <laughs> um, to your colleagues. Now, Hahn had actually discovered nuclear fission in 1938. He's the guy that kicked it all off. Remember right. we told that story? that uh, 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 the the Germans discovered nuclear fission and and then they got the word back into America via Mm -hmm. the German uh, uh, daisy chain, (laughs) the rumour mill. Right. Um, It was Hahn and his assistant, Fritz Strassmann. So Otto Hahn, the guy that's now in a jail in uh, the UK, was the father of nuclear chemistry. But apart Mm. from that, he had nothing to do with the atomic project in fact um later wrote that Hahn was one of the very few who stood upright and did the best he could in these years of evil Mm, nice so it just goes to show that you could he could anyway say no to the nazis and uh get away with it right um Apparently, also, according to the transcripts of the, the microphone recordings, Hahn contemplated suicide after he learned of the bombing of Hiroshima. Wow. Blaming himself. Ah, for yeah, I can see the, that. The fact that so many people died because he yeah. discovered this and told other people about it. Yeah. Um, now, after seeing the, the German attempts at Heigerloch, Goodschmidt, who was, again, the scientist who accompanied Pash, wrote, it was so obvious that the whole German uranium setup was on a ludicrous, ludicru- fuck, ludicrously small scale. Mm-hmm. Here was the central group of laboratories and all it amounted to was a little underground cave, a wing of a small textile factory, a few rooms in an old brewery. Yeah. To be sure, the laboratories were well equipped, but compared to what we were doing in the United States, it was still small-time stuff. Sometimes we wondered if our government had not spent more money on our intelligence mission than the Germans had spent on their whole project. Oh, God. (laughs) Now, by the way, the Germans, uh, sorry, the Soviets had their own version of the Alsos mission, Mm -hmm. but it didn't get off the ground until Beria suggested it early in 1945. He's like, uh... You know, uh, uh, Comrade Stalin, uh, maybe before Americans uh, get into uh, Germany and steal all good uh, Soviet uh, physicists, we should go in ourselves and make sure they don't steal shit. Stalin said, fucking great idea. Why didn't I think of that? Why didn't you think of that before? Have this man shot for not having good idea earlier than he had good idea. Um, So they actually sent in an advanced crew to Berlin mm-hmm. to try and get all of the German scientists. Because by the time they got there, all the atomic scientists had escaped to right. other places and got picked up by the Americans, all except a few. <laughs> one of those that they did pick up was Nicholas Reil, mm-hmm. uh, who's one of my relatives. The Reils are uh, related to the Reilis, if you go back far enough. Um, nice. And a few years later, he helped Stalin build the bomb. Ah. But... That's another story. So that's where we're going to leave it off, 76, folks. So Hunter recap for the people who weren't paying attention. What did we learn (laughs) in 76, Ray?
0: Well, first of all, I just want to let you know, after you listen to this episode, you might be interested in going reading the James Michener book, Space, where they use a lot of these, not these particular scientists, but other German scientists dealing with the rockets, the V-1, the V-2 program, and they help them, they use them to build the rockets to beat the Russians uh, uh, into space, to the moon. That that was a very good story. But basically, th- even though the Americans had $2 billion to throw at this, they were mo- more focused on time than money. They made a lot of mistakes, but they overcame those mistakes with sheer grit hard work and an attitude and again the fear of the, what the Germans were going to be coming up with. They come up with several different ways to get their enriched uranium. Uh, they divide into teams. Uh, what's his name? Oppie and Groves work well together despite being very different people but they make a good team and they are able to get somewhere. They're, they're developing their bombs. They're developing their delivery system but they have to know after all of this are we going to actually beat the Germans? So they send in a team And the good news is, not only are they beating the the Germans, they're able to grab a lot of the scientists, and they get a lot of their ore, and they get a lot of the other material the Germans had, and they're going to ship it back to America to help finish off their project.
1: Yeah, and I think the highlights for me are the, the Americans, even before, well before the end of the war going around behind the backs of the Soviets and the French, their allies, and stealing all of the nuclear secrets and the nuclear scientists out of Germany. Um, And then the whole Pash story, uh, doing that, to me, is just one of the great stories of this period, this this little operation that I'd never heard of before. No, no. I'd heard of Operation Paperclip, but I hadn't heard of uh, the Alsos mission, and uh, it's just a great story that I, I, I really enjoyed learning about. Um, so that's the summary. When we get to the next episodes, we're going to be talking, I think, about the um, first, the Trinity Test in Alamogordo in uh, New Mexico and the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. That's where we're going to get to next. Um, mm-hmm. Bring your goggles. I want, to, I want to read. We have no new reviews, but I want to read some of our new subscribers. Adrian, these are all new DEFCON 1 uh, subscribers. Adrian cool. Parkins, Alex Allen, Quentin Berlattier, Steve T, Philip Schultz, Tim Schipple, Alex Duke, Brendan Stoodley, Emma, Ellis Lewis, Brooks Gifford III, Luke Malloy, Joe Fontenot, uh, Alexander Mattioli, Reese Ashby, and Amy Stewart are our new subscribers. Thank you. Thank you to those folks. Welcome to the show. You probably won't catch up to this for about a year, but when you do, welcome. Yeah. And... Um, what else have we got to plug? Let's plug our Renaissance show. Mm-hmm. If you're not listening to that, check it out. We're talking about the rise of Christianity and the descent into the Dark Ages. A lot of fun. The 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 bullshit filter, we're talking about the war on drugs at the moment, the history of drug use uh, by people around the world. We talked recently about the opium wars where mm-hmm. the British forced the Chinese to take their opium and uh, became the British were the world's first major drug barons, and that's how they made a lot of their money sustain the empire was from selling opium into China even though the Chinese didn't want it Britain's fucking forced them at the point of a gun take these drugs, drugs. fucking take them now baby um, and uh, it's not too late to come to Europe, I guess uh, you know, we're locked and loaded we're going to be in Europe from the 21st sorry, from the 1st of July to the 22nd of July we're mm-hmm. We're starting in Paris uh, then we're going to um, uh, Corsica -hmm. Then we're going to, I think, Florence next, then Rome, and then Athens. Five cities, three weeks. um, Come buy us a drink, group of, group of fans. Um, It's going to be huge. Oh, there's a door. I got to go. There's a a delivery for me. I'm going to play my outro music, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.
0: Take care. (laughs)